This hymn is no outpouring of subjective religious lyric feeling, but application of promises of God's inspired scriptures to the needs and struggles of the church. Its integrity and strength flow from the genuine faith with which Luther grasps the ancient promises of God and from the power with which this fusion of faith to the divine word of grace arms the singer with Christ's victory. Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, we're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is episode 51. We've been looking at hymnody in the church. We've been looking at hymns every Lutheran should know. Most recently, we've been looking at Reformation hymns, and today we come to perhaps the most well-known, the most famous, the most revered hymn in all of Lutheranism, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. LSB 656, 657. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, differences in those uh, two options in LSB. A mighty fortress is our God. Pastor, what are your initial thoughts? Uh, well, I think it is a uh, great hymn for us to learn. Uh, it has a great tradition in the Lutheran uh, church. We're going all the way back to Martin Luther. It takes a psalm, and it makes it uh, easily memorizable and singable by uh, taking the ideas and themes of that psalm and applying them to verse. Uh, I think it has a lot of... Um, um, baggage, historically speaking, that's not quite right, that's kind of popularized, but uh, isn't true, and so maybe it'll be a chance to address some of that as well. Um, but uh, it kind of embodies the Lutheran Reformation, even in Wittenberg, if you go to visit where the Reformation took place, the church that is rebuilt, of course, uh, where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses, has a giant tower with these words, Ein Festeburg ist unser Gott, emblazoned around it, and probably got to be 10 feet tall, uh, the letters there, and so it kind of is the symbol of Lutheranism in that way. The symbol of Lutheranism, the uh, symbol of the Protestant Reformation. You hear this hymn, you think of Luther posting the 95 Theses on the church door. The quote that I had at the beginning of our broadcast today is from the Lutheran Worship Hymnal Companion, page 317, and that was a quote by F. Samuel Janzow, who uh, was a, is a, was a contemporary translator of many, many hymns and uh, quite an authority on hymnody in the church. Well, we want to, uh, we want to separate some fact from fiction. We, uh, we want to extol this hymn and talk about the individual verses. We want to talk about the scriptural connection of A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And we want to also talk a little bit about Luther, Luther the hymn writer, because this is the pinnacle of Luther's hymn writing. And uh, not only did he write the words, he also wrote the tune. And by all accounts, this, uh, this hymn is based on Psalm 46. Pastor, do you have uh, Psalm 46 handy that you can 
uh, share that with our hearers? Sure. <clears throat> God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. In uh, TLH, this is him uh, 262, and it is simply referenced with Psalm 46. In LSB 656 and 657, it is referenced Psalm 46, verses 1, 7, and 11. So it's a little more specific there, and there are also three other Bible references in LSB to this uh, to this great hymn, Pastor. Um, in LSB and in the uh, predecessor hymnal LW, in LW it's uh, two ninety seven two ninety eight. There's two options for this hymn, and uh, you're you're much more of a uh, music man than I am. But they talk about, uh, in everything that I read, they talk about the difference between a rhythmic hymn and an isorhythmic form. The isorhythmic form is the uh, faster, peppier, a little bit more upbeat version. And the rhythmic form is the little bit more slow and drawn out form. Uh, we're listening to a, a children's choir from uh, a CPH piece of music that we own here at uh, KNNALP. And so that is the, the little more faster, a little more... Uh, isorhythmic form, and everything that I read uh, attributes to the ice, it attributes this isorhythmic form to Bach, and I know you've done a lot of Bach on this, so I'm not a music person, and rhythmic, isorhythmic, this, this doesn't mean anything to me. Can you explain some of this in layman's terms? I'll do my best. I'm not a you know gifted musical person either, but uh, uh, the the rhythmic form is the original form as written by Martin Luther, and and you made the comment that it's the slower uh, version, which which makes me cringe. Well, because it's you know not what I, supposed to be. You but know what we I mean, Oftentimes, though. drag it out and sing it very poorly, but it's supposed to actually the rhythmic thing is supposed to keep it moving, uh, and so lots of times, unfortunately, uh, it gets played in a very slow 
slow way. Like almost like a funeral dirge. fortress, right? Um, and uh, that's that's a shame that it's that way. And it's because of the way it's written. Uh, you know, you see half notes there and you think half notes have to be long. But it's supposed to actually be kind of moving forward in a peppy manner. Da, 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 da. So it, it shouldn't be slow. It should be played quickly and, and and nicely like that. And so Martin Luther wrote it. It's rhythmic because it does have those ba bum 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 things going on throughout the tune, uh, which was written that way to help the song be moved on. It's not sung that way. Now, uh, 200 years later, Johann Sebastian Bach comes along, and music has evolved to the Baroque style. And a big part of the Baroque style is what's called counterpoint. And that's where you take a theme and a tune and you play it um, first off uh, the original way. And then you come back again later uh, on with the rest of the song going on and you play it in a different key or you play it in the lower register. And so you have the same theme, the same tune being played multiple times throughout the entirety of the piece. And to make that happen, what you have to do is you have to take those rhythmic things, da 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 and you have to make them more regular so that you can fit all the pieces together. And so that's exactly what uh, Bach does in the isorhythmic version. He takes the tune and he fits it into a different rhythm so that it will fit with the counterpoint of the other parts of the music. And maybe... While we're at the break, uh, I'll dig out the version uh, of Bach doing this hymn in that way so that you can kind of listen and understand that. And so, as a result, Bach's work is great, Luther's work is great, and some Lutherans really like to sing the Luther version. Some Lutherans really like to sing the Bach version. They're the same hymn, uh, and yet the rhythm has been changed in the second version so that it fits into the Baroque style and allows for counterpoint uh, to be played along with it. And so as a result, we have those two versions, and some people are more familiar with the one, and some people are more familiar with the other, uh, and that's just a reality. The, uh, uh, thank I don't know you. if I explained it no, very thank, clearly or not. Thank you for that. And what I meant, uh, and again, think of think of the common uh, layman sitting in the pew. The two options, one is generally played considerably slower than the other. And so when I meant the fast one and the slow one, that's what I was referring to. And uh, I cringe as well when a mighty fortress is played in a very slow, deliberate, almost funeral dirge kind of a style because we know that that was not the intent we know that through history that is not how this hymn was sung but unfortunately this is how it's presented to the people sitting in the pew and it's very very unfortunate um i like both the thing that i don't like is the words are different the translation is different in LSB 656 and LSB 657. And I imagine that's to uh, fit the tune uh, that we're doing. A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. That's 656. A mighty fortress is our God, a short sword and shield victorious. Uh, that's the exactly the reason, because when, when Bach takes the the tune 
and uh, and we shouldn't say the tune. He takes the rhythm and adjusts it so that the counterpoint for his uh, cantata can fit in together with it, which really magnifies and beautifies the hymn. It changes the number of syllables in some of those cases for the words. And so uh, our English, now that we've got that, we have to take those changes in syllables and adjust the German translation to fit that tune, that rhythm. And so we do have slightly different words as a result. Um, that th That's just a necessity of the way of translating. And this happens in truth for all the hymns that were written in another language that have been brought into English. Uh, usually we don't notice it because we just have one version that's made it into popularity. In this case, we have those two tunes, those two rhythms, uh, the Luther version and the Bach version that have made it into English and grown in popularity. And so we do have two different lyrics as a result that we probably know in our heart. This, uh, this hymn is dated 1529. There's a little bit of a controversy. Uh, it appears that uh, it appeared in a hymnal in 1528. Uh, but that hymnal, while we have fragments of it, is lost to time. This hymn has been translated into more language than any other hymn in Christendom. Its English translations number more than 100. So it shouldn't surprise us that we're going to have some different words. The different translations are here, and uh, translating... Uh, to a from from any language into English is an art form. Translating from any language into English and then setting it to notes is an even bigger art form. Uh, we'll unpack that a little bit more, but we're going to get into the text when we come back. This is at home in your hymnal. Don't change that dial. You are listening to K N N A. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. This is episode 51. We're looking at LSB 656 and 657, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We heard verse 1 coming back from the break, uh, stanza 1, I stand corrected, and the uh, children's choir is singing LSB 657, if you are listening to the words there. And it is an example of that isorhythmic form that uh, Pastor Moline did a wonderful job of explaining in the uh, first part of this episode. Pastor, I know you've done a lot of work on this hymn. You've done a lot of work on uh, Bach. 
uh, with regard to uh, this hymn and the way that Bach used it in a number of uh, different ways. Uh, if if people are more interested in this Bach connection and uh, want to dig deeper into that, how would they locate those particular programs uh, on our archives or uh, in a podcast? Well, the podcast version should be available um, on Anchor. Uh, it uh, is called Bringing Bach Back, and uh, it should be available at our radio website as well. And uh, the cantata number is cantata number 80, and so I don't remember what episode number it is, but it's cantata number 80 by Bach, Ein Festeburg ist unser Gott, uh, and it, it will bring that, um, uh, you can listen to that whole program. Okay. Excellent. Well, let's take a look at stanza one then, Pastor. Uh, and I'm going to, even though we're, we're listening to 657, I'm going to read the words from 656. Um, there are two credible translations from the German, and uh, we're, I'm not trying to pit one translation against the other. It's just I personally like 656 better. A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. What do we learn from those, uh, those words, Pastor? Well, uh, we have two aspects in that. Uh, so we have that God is a mighty fortress, which a fortress uh, for us today with air power, it's kind of a difficult thing, but uh, we have to think back in the old days where to withstand an enemy, you would build a big, strong fortress with thick walls, with lots of food and water inside so that you could outlast the enemy uh, when they came to attack you and you'd be protected and kept safe within the walls of the fortress. Even... Um, Think about uh, as medieval warfare advanced, we have things like trebuchets and then cannons, uh, and the walls of the fortress are there to absorb the blows so that it gets attacked and destroyed and you're kept safe inside. And in a way, that's exactly what God does. We were safe because Jesus took on flesh and went and bled and died on the cross for us and in our place, and now we get to inherit heaven even though he's been attacked and killed, uh, even though he resurrected. So that's the first part. Part of mighty fortress, but we also have trusty shield and weapon, which uh, brings us this idea that uh, if we're actually in the battle, that Christ again is the shield who takes the beating and uh, um, uh, is able to withstand the blows aimed at us. Uh, and he's our weapon then, too. He's also attacking the enemy and destroying the wep uh, the enemy as well, which he does to Satan. He crushes his head on the cross and, and defeats him. And so all these ideas, it's a military sort of picture. And what we should know throughout it all is we're safe because Christ is on the attack and also taking the blows in defense of us. I think that's an extremely important part of this hymn, Pastor, that shield and weapon. When we think of a shield, we're thinking more of a defensive kind of a uh, position or posture. But when we think of a weapon, we're thinking very much on the offense. And just like in football, you can't just play defense to win. You have to have defense and offense, and Christ is both. Now, in the, uh, the next section, he helps us free from every need that hath us now or taken. What kind of needs are we thinking about here that have or taken, overtaken the Christian? 
Well, I think the best place to talk about that would be to go to the small catechism uh, and to look at the Apostles' Creed. So we have the first article of the Creed where God gives us clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that we have. Uh, he has given us our body and soul, eyes, ears, and all our members, our reason and all our senses. He richly and daily provides us with everything that we need to support our body and life. Uh, and so that's the first thing. We go to the second article then where we realize that we are sinful people uh, who have gone against God and his word, and Jesus purchases and wins us from sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, innocent suffering, and death, that we may be his own. And so there's another need that Christ has answered for us. Uh, and then we can go to the third article. Well, how do we become Christians? How do we get into the faith? That's a need that we have. And again, the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel, enlightens us with his gifts, and sanctifies and keeps us in the one true faith. In other words, all the things in our life uh, are needs that are met by God uh, through the power of his word, uh, through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, very, very well said. Now, the, the hymn, uh, Stanza One, takes a dramatic shift. We've been talking about being overtaken by something or someone, by some force or whatever. Now, the hymn gets specific. In the second half of Stanza One, the old evil foe or the old satanic foe now means deadly woe. Who is this old evil foe that means deadly woe for the Christian? Well, we're, we're quoting almost uh, scripture here verbatim in the sense that it calls Satan that ancient uh, liar or deceiver, the, the one who in the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden uh, tempted them to abandon God's word and listen to his word instead, who tempts Jesus in the wilderness, who tempts all of us each and every day in our lives, who is always seeking to undermine God's word. We're talking about Satan, uh, Lucifer, the fallen angel who is the head of all the other fallen angels. That's the old evil foe. And uh, the second scripture reference listed in LSB is Revelation 19, 11 to 16. And this is what we read. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which is to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see this battle going on. And the rider on the white horse, I'll let you comment on that in a little bit. And, Jesus. Uh, well, of course it's Jesus, yes. Uh, the Word of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is fighting against the old evil foe, the old satanic foe. And the uh, rest of stanza one talks about how this is a real battle and a real fight, and Satan has real power. Deep guile and great might 
are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. Pastor, a little bit on this old satanic foe and where his might and dread arms in fight come from and what they look like. Yeah, well, first off, I think guile is a word that we don't use a lot anymore. It's kind of fallen out of usage. It means cunning or intelligence, being sly. And so we're talking about Satan here who sly, is... Sly sly and cunning in a negative, negative way. Sense. In a yes. negative way. So Satan, again, this is who we're talking about. He's very smart. He's cunning. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And to be a good liar, you have to be smart enough to remember your lies. Uh, he does that. And he has great might, at least it appears so. And... On earth, it looks like, uh, and this is the reality, there's no one who is his equal. In other words, we can't defeat Satan. We can't overcome him. We can't overpower him. He's too much for us to handle. And and that's where this verse is going to leave us, and that's the truth that I think we really struggle to comprehend because we think more of ourselves than we ought and yet it is the reality that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, or save myself from sin, or make up to God what I've done wrong. I can't fix the problem. I need someone else to do it, and that's what Luther is teaching us very clearly here. I think it's also important to note that if you just memorize stanza one of a mighty fortress is our God, uh, you are very, very incomplete in the story. Is that, uh, is that a fair way to look at it, Pastor? You are, because right now we're talking about, uh, we, we, we have God as our fortress and God as our refuge, and we have that idea. So we do have gospel here that we begin with, but we also now have this law idea where it looks like on this world Satan is winning and defeating us. Now, to be fair, we do both of these things here. Uh, we have law and gospel both. Uh, okay, Pastor, I think we've got time. Do you want to read stanza two? With might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss effected. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask ye, who is this? Jesus Christ it is, of Sabaoth, Lord, and there's no other God. He holds the field forever. Okay, he holds the field forever. We've got that battle imagery going on there again. We want to uh, dig a little bit deeper into this. We ended stanza one with um, the focus clearly on Satan, the old satanic foe, the old evil foe. And now we have an abrupt change in uh, stanza two. In uh, 30 words or less, Pastor, who is stanza two about? Well, stanza two is about who stanza two says. Uh, Jesus Christ is he of Sabaoth, Lord, the only one true God. Uh, that's who we're focusing on in stanza two. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry. We know because God has revealed Jesus to us. Jesus has come. Jesus has done his work. And Jesus fights for us. As we go into our second break, let's listen to stanza two of A Mighty Fortress.
to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Uh, if you're like me, you could just listen to that on and on and on. Uh, we uh, we decided during the break that we would uh, give the hearers just a just a little bit of a flavor for what Bach did with Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Ein feste Burg ist unser Gott. Uh, Pastor, a few comments on what we just heard coming back from the break. Well, uh, what you just heard is Bach's cantata. It's a choral fantasia uh, of A Mighty Fortress is Our God, where Bach takes uh, that tune, and he adjusts the rhythm just a little bit like we talked about earlier, and he fits it in so that uh, the way that it begins is that the tenor voice sings a mighty fortress is our god then the alto comes in in the midst of that and begins to sing a mighty fortress is our god and then the soprano comes in and sings it and then last of all the bass comes in and sings it and they're all singing it almost in kind of like a round sort of way except it's not all in the same key it's not all in exactly the same rhythm they're all slightly different and in the midst of that you have the oboe playing a mighty fortress is our god at a different time that the violin is playing a mighty fortress is our god at a different time that um, the the trumpets are playing a mighty fortress is our God. And so you have all these different instruments playing the same song in different times, in different keys, in different rhythms, in different places, and it all blends together perfectly. And this is counterpoint, and this is the genius of Bach to become that amazing, beautiful musical piece. And uh, this is definitely flowing from uh, Luther's thoughts, ideas, and work with regard to music, music in the church. Very, very much an innovator here in uh, bringing music into the pews, music into the life of a congregation. And just a couple of quotes from Luther on music, and I'm reading from uh, the Lutheran Worship Hymnal Companion, page 687. I'm going to read three quotes And, Pastor, I want your comment on these uh, one or all of them when I come back. Next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest praise. That's quote one. I am strongly persuaded that after theology, there is no art that can be placed on a level with music. For besides theology, music is the only art capable of affording peace and joy of the heart like that induced by the study of the science of divinity. And finally, the third quote, Indeed, upon mankind, not upon other creatures, has been bestowed not only a voice, but also the gift of speech, in order that mankind might know that it is to praise God with words 
and music. Pastor, what do you think? Well, I think uh, Luther definitely understood how music can take the ideas and the themes of Scripture and carry them so that we are easily able to recite them, to remember them, and to take our theology and bring it to the average person in a way that they can understand. And, And I think this is great, too, because speech and singing are written in different parts of your brain. And so when you learn a song, it gets written in two different places in your brain where you have the words and where you have the tune and the melody. And so in that way, it's really making the theology of our church and and of scriptures a part of us when we have music carrying that for us. And that's why, you know, um, maybe this is the place to talk about it. This hymn, Martin Luther wrote the words, and Martin Luther also wrote the tune, uh, and the two go together in such a way to carry the whole idea so that it is actually in our mind making God into this mighty fortress. The tune is formidable itself uh, in the way that a fortress is, and so it brings everything together clearly for us to comprehend. We'll uh, we'll have more opportunity to talk about Luther as hymn writer as we uh, continue to look at great hymnody of Lutheranism, but Luther wrote many hymns, and I'm sure many of them uh, were lost to time, but I think he's uh, officially attributed with writing 37 hymns. Most of those hymns are original tunes as well, although some of those are based on ancient tunes that he reclaimed for the church. And I, I think that we can learn a lot from Luther's love and appreciation for music Too often in the church, music is used to manipulate and stroke emotions and is not really serving the Word of God or serving theology as it could or as it should. Do you think I'm I'm being too harsh there, Pastor? Yeah, lots of times um, I think music is kind of—maybe this is the best way to say it. I don't think we are— uh, as gifted musically as people like Bach were and people like Mozart and people like Beethoven. And so when we kind of just slap together a few chords on the guitar and attach it to a, a hymn where we repeat the same few words over and over again, we're not actually understanding the true potential of what music can do. We're not using it to its fullness. And and so that's something that, you know, that Bach piece does and that Martin Luther was able to do with the music at his time in writing this hymn that I think we kind of just take for granted and don't always do. And I'm, I'm speaking generally. There are some really good hymn writers today, uh, modern ones, that do a good job at this. But those, as a rule... Uh, what we get in CDs and things like that from Nashville and from Christian music is not unlocking the full potential. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of unlocking the full potential, let's look a little more deeply at stanza two. Stanza one ended, on earth is not his equal. There is no human being, there is nothing on earth, humanly speaking, that can defeat Satan. And it flows right into stanza two. With might of ours cannot be done, not nothing. Soon were our loss affected. What's that word picture there, uh, with might of ours cannot be done? 
Again, it's reflecting the third article of the Creed uh, from the small catechism. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. And with it coming right after the end of the first verse, it is again, Satan, we can't defeat him by our own power or authority or might. We can't stop him. Uh, He has power over us, not the other way around. And so we need someone to rescue us. It, uh, it continues then with an amazing but. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Fighting for us a valiant one elected by God for the task. What are we, what are we learning here, Pastor? Well, uh, we're learning that essentially Christmas story, right? Uh, that uh, God as he promised to Adam and Eve and to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and David, uh, takes on our human flesh, and God says to his beloved son, this is again Ambrose, uh, uh, go forth now and take care of sin for all these people who are unable to. And so that's again the idea that Jesus uh, saves us from sin, and Luther's carrying it in just those few words. The fact that before God created the world— he elected or appointed the crucifixion of his son is one of the most mind-boggling truths that Scripture teaches us. The fact that, you know, we sometimes uh, fight and debate on the doctrine of election, but here we are taught the primary thing that we should think about with regard to election is that God elected his son to do battle for us. And to, to win, us, yeah. and to win salvation for us. Uh, we don't have to wonder who this is. So many times in hymns, uh, things, things are kind of left uh, to the imagination, left uh, nebulous. But the hymn goes on in stanza two. Ask ye, who is this? Jesus Christ it is, of Sabbath Lord, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. Now, there's a lot here, Pastor, um, of Sabaoth Lord. What is significant about that specific title attached to Jesus? Well, it's an Old Testament uh, title, and I think that's really uh, a thing that we don't think about as much as we should, and that's that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Lots of people today try to say we have the God of the Old Testament, we have a different God in the New Testament. That's not the reality. In fact, if we're really honest about it, we see Jesus uh, at the creation account. We see Jesus as the uh, Passover lamb. We see Jesus as the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. Uh, We have in the New Testament that tells us Jesus was the rock that uh, the water came out of, that they drank from in the wilderness. We have uh, Jesus is the bread of life that they ate. And so we have all these places in the Old Testament where Jesus is seen as God, and now in the person of Jesus in the New Testament, we realize fully what that means uh, in his identity. Pastor, uh, two Old Testament words that are kind of confusing uh, when we hear them or when we sing them, the word Sabbath and the word Sabaoth. Yeah, Sabbath. 
Sabbath is the day that God rested after the creation, and so it's Saturday would be the Sabbath in in the very literal sense. Uh, But we also have Sabaoth, which is a different word. Uh, It's an epitaph of God in his role as protector of the Israelite army, uh, usually translated as Lord of hosts or Lord of military strength and might. And so they're different words. They're similar in sound, uh, and yet they have completely different meanings. And with that military understanding, Standing, we it's get, perfect in the it's hymn. It's perfect in the hymn, and we also have this, he holds the field forever. The dust from the battle has cleared. Think of the star-spangled banner. You know, the smoke has cleared. The, the flag is still waving. The dust from the battle has cleared, and guess what? There's only one who's standing on the field, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All the other enemies have been defeated. Jesus, and Jesus alone, stands victorious. It's, it's resurrection. It is. It is. It is. It's Good Friday. It's Easter. It's Judgment Day, all wrapped into one. We want to, as we uh, head to our next break, we want to listen to stanza three of A Mighty Fortress. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. You can also listen to all of our worship services right here on KNNALP 95.7. Check out our archives, our website at the radio station, thecross957.org. We'd love to have your feedback. We're looking at LSB 656, 657, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Going into our last break and coming back, we heard stanza three. Uh, Some would say that the last line in stanza three is the most significant in the whole hymn. Pastor, do you want to read stanza three for us? Though devils all the world should fill, all eagle, all, all eagle, all eager to devour us. He, we tremble not, we fear no ill, they shall not overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged the deed is done. One little word can fell him. One little word 
can fell him. We're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, at the beginning of stanza three, though devils all the world should fill. Now remember, Jesus, that rider on the white horse, is standing victorious alone on the plain. His death and resurrection are complete for you. Satan's head has been crushed. And yet, in stanza three, though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us. Pastor, what what is that in reference to? Well, first off, it's a tongue twister, apparently. But uh, (laughs) in this world, uh, the battle has been won, or maybe the way to say it is the war has been won, and yet we're still in the midst of the challenges and difficulties of this world. We still have sin. We still have uh, temptation. And so it's like the the war that has been won, the decisive battle is over. We're still fighting the closing parts of it, uh, knowing what the end result is. There were many battles and deaths after D-Day. But right. most people would look at D-Day and say that was the um, high point of uh, victory for the Allied forces. You could say the same thing uh, with regard Gettysburg. to the Battle of Gettysburg in yep. the Civil War. So, And that military imagery uh, plays in very well here. We tremble not. We fear no ill. They shall not overpower us. Why? Why shouldn't we tremble or fear? Well, we know what the end result is. We're going to win the war because Christ has died and rose again. And even if we get killed in the battle, we know that we'll be raised to live forever. And so we have nothing to lose, essentially. We have only to gain. And Paul writes that way in some of his epistles, and that's the reality that we have as Christians. And we need to know that and believe that because it's true. That's the reference to Romans 8 in the uh, footnote of LSB. This world's prince, again, reference to Satan, may still scowl, fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fail him. Before we get to that one little word part, Pastor, how is this uh, second half of stanza three talking about this world's prince may still scowl, fierce as he will? How is that mocking the devil as if? All he has left is scowling? Is that a way to hear that? Well, yeah, in a sense. Um, or maybe even, you know, the, the joke about how do you stop a dog from biting you on Sunday. That joke is old. The, the, the way you do it is to kill the dog on Saturday, right? Uh, or have the doggy's teeth pulled out. And that's really the truth. Satan might look really dangerous and, and dangerous in the sense that he's going to attack and kill us, but he's already lost, He's the biggest loser that there ever has been in that regard. And I don't mean that we should, you know, not be a little nervous around him or treat him as not dangerous. And yet the truth is he has lost to Jesus. And we just need to keep that idea in our mind. Uh, Pastor, uh, one little word can fail him. This has been explained in a myriad of ways throughout the history of the church. One little word can fail him. Is this in reference to Jesus, who is the word made flesh? Is this in reference to the word of God in general? One little piece of scripture can defeat Satan. Or is this in reference to a specific word in the words of institution, the verba, this is my body, this is my blood, and the one little word that can fail Satan is the word is. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, in... 
there, all these are fine answers, you know, um, and and there's nothing wrong with them. We do have um, when Luther wrote against Hanswurst, uh, he talks about it. Uh, One little word shall fell him, and the word is liar, devil. You are a liar. Uh, and at the same time, that also implies that Jesus is the truth, just as Scripture says, the way, the truth, and the life. And so, in a sense, Jesus is the Word. In a sense, liar is the Word. And in a sense, the gospel's the Word. Uh, and all these things are carried when we call Satan a liar. And so it's okay to think of any or all of those. Uh, Pastor, do you want to read stanza four? The word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side upon the plain, with his good gifts and spirit. And take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Though these all be gone, our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. It's really hard for me to hear or sing that stanza without thinking of family and friends that have died in the faith. Uh, As we record this particular program, it is uh, two years ago today that my mother, at age 97, died. Uh, This world is full of loss, and this world is full of pain and heartache, sin, death, all the consequences of sin. And yet, simply because Good Friday and Easter have happened does not mean that now we are abandoned and left on our own. I think that's why stanza four is so important. The word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side, Jesus, upon the plain where we fight, where the battle still goes on, with his good gifts and spirit. Ephesians 6 is one of the references in the scripture. Third article of the creed in the small catechism. Third article of the creed again, uh, we put on the full armor of God. And so we have nothing to fear. These are the things that we often fear about. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, wife. Though these all be gone, our victory has been won. What victory is Luther talking about here? Uh, victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil, resurrection, life eternal, all these things that God gives through Jesus. The kingdom ours remaineth. We want to uh, listen to stanza four of A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and then we'll go through the Wolf Mueller Hymn Cruncher. It stands a four of that epic Lutheran hymn, that epic Luther hymn, that epic, epic Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Uh, Pastor, um, we've been uh, working through the Wolf Mueller Hymn Cruncher with hymns. Um, I think this is going to go pretty fast. Is Jesus mentioned? Yes. Is the song clear? Yes. Is there uh, mysticism? 
Uh, is the song about the things God has done or my own emotions and experiences? It's very much about God, what he does, uh, and so no, there's no mysticism in it. Law and gospel. Does the song proclaim law in its sternness and gospel in its sweetness? Yes. Is there any explicit false teaching? No. Not only is there not any explicit false teaching, there's no false teaching at all. Right. Uh, so, Pastor, um, on the uh, Moline scale of 1 to 10, what are we going to do with this hymn? I'd have to give this one a 10. Uh, in fact, it's one that um, we used to, I remember going on long car rides, and uh, my one daughter would cry because she was tired of being in the car unless you sang A Mighty Fortress. Uh, not that that makes it special or anything uh, in terms of its content, but uh, just have that fond memory of this hymn. Music saw, uh, soothes the savage breast. Uh, which which child was that? Well, uh, you'll have to ask me after we're done. Oh, recording. come on. You don't want to play favorites online, do you? Um, Pastor, uh, just, a, just a couple of thoughts about A Mighty Fortress. Um, when I was growing up, for a variety of reasons, uh, we rarely sang A Mighty Fortress. Some congregations only sang A Mighty Fortress on Reformation. And uh, even though that it's the hymn of the day for the first Sunday in Lent, and it's appropriate for other points in the church year, like the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, uh, I believe it is Septuagesima Sunday, uh, there's a lot of places where it's appropriate. Um, in many congregations, this hymn is just not sung. And uh, I'm surprised when we have members of our congregation to this day say, you know, I like a lot of the hymns in the hymnal, but this is one I don't like. Um, your comments on the use or disuse of this hymn. Well, I think it should be sung a lot. Uh, it's not just a Reformation uh, hymn. It is a church hymn, and so it fits more than just a worship of Martin Luther. We definitely don't want to do that. Uh, we ought to use it appropriately when it calls for it, throughout the lectionary season, and, and uh, it should be sung at all those options. In fact, I think it's the official hymn of the day for the first Sunday of Lent, which is probably a bigger deal than, in fact, Reformation itself, which is not a traditional ancient uh, uh, service of the church. And so, um, you know, I'd say, what's that TV show, the Claymation one, that kind of took it and I think made it seem silly? Um, you know what I'm uh, talking about? Davy and Goliath. Davy and Goliath. I think Davy and Goliath did a lot of harm to the hymn because it made it kind of seem like a kiddie thing. It's not. It's an important uh, Lutheran Christian hymn that uh, confesses a good truth that we ought to sing and learn and memorize. Uh, last question, Pastor. There is a tradition in the Lutheran Church that you stand when you sing A Mighty Fortress because it's the Lutheran National Anthem. Your comments on that? Well, I think, again, that's putting the emphasis on the wrong purpose with the hymn. It's a hymn that teaches us about Jesus. And so, uh, you know, if you want to stand, that's fine. If you don't want to, I think that's fine. So long as our focus is not on Martin Luther or on any other thing except for Christ our Lord, who is the one who's by our side on the plane and uh, on earth is not his, uh, or on in the battle, he's victorious. And so we need to remember that. The focus of the hymn is Jesus. The focus of our singing of this hymn should be Jesus as well. Thank you for tuning in to At Home in Your Hymnal, episode 51. We'll see you again next time. God's richest blessings in Christ.